0: Today's episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show is brought to you by Diabolic DVD. For almost 20 years, Diabolic DVD has been the source for horror, cult, and weird cinema to customers around the world. Diabolic offers a one-stop shopping experience for all of your favorite labels, including Arrow, Synapse, Vinegar Syndrome, Severin, Mondo Macabro, Blue Underground, 88, and many more from all corners of the globe. So whether you're looking for the definitive version of Suspiria or trying to upgrade your crusty old DVD of Cannibal Holocaust, Diabolic is the owner-operated small business choice you've been craving. Shop online at DiabolicDVD.com. That's D-I-A-B-O-L-I-K DVD.com. We're also brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee. It's the number one choice of horror fans worldwide. Nothing starts your day or night better than a delicious cup of Deadly Grounds. Whether you're hunting ghosts or fighting the next zombie apocalypse, any one of Deadly's 30-plus roasts will bring you to caffeine nirvana with the richest flavor you've ever had. Whether you're craving their Hellhound Roast, Witch's Brew, Devil's Night Roast, or Sinful Delight, Order online at getdeadly.com for easy and safe shipping right to your door. We know that once you go deadly, you won't go back. Join the deadly revolution today. Be bold, be different, be deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee, coffee to die for and zombie approved. Get some at getdeadly.com. <laughs> Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Justin Dyke is a Canadian director who just released Anything for Jackson, which is now streaming on Shudder. Anything for Jackson is definitely one of my favorite horror films of the year. It really delivers the goods. It's scary, it's funny, it's emotionally poignant, and an extremely unique and different take on ghosts and demons, which was actually really refreshing. All in all, it's a hell of a time, and I highly recommend it. Ironically enough, Justin made Anything for Jackson after making a large number of commercial family films in Canada, which, despite the genre really paved the way for his technical ability as a director. We talk more about Justin's backstory, the making of Anything for Jackson, and how he pulled off this movie's fantastic creature effects in today's episode of the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Now, without further ado, here is Justin Dyke. Justin Dyke, how do you do, sir? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. Although I have to admit, I have been struggling to floss after seeing Anything (laughs) for Jackson. For the yeah. past few days, <laughs> that dentists do not approve of our film. No, no, it is definitely not uh, not dentist approved at all. But uh, <laughs> now I realized I think I saw I saw your movie within like a few days of seeing um, 32 Malasala Street, which was really good on Shudder, and uh, his house, which on Netflix, which I really loved. And mm-hmm. it just kind of occurred to me that supernatural and demon movies will never ever go out of style there's it's so it is a genre it feels so inexhaustible and there's so much personal metaphor that you can project into these movies particularly as a vehicle for grief i mean the example of something hereditary is the big example relic is another really good example um but as a genre, I don't think it'll ever go the way of like found footage or zombie movies where everybody has, you know, ghost fatigue. I don't think there'll ever be a ghost or, or demon fatigue, you know? Yeah,
1: I think especially zombies are a bit limited, right? They, you know, you can make them fast or slow. Uh, you can make them living dead or, or sick, but it's it's far to, it's hard to go too far outside of that. You know, and I, I think a lot of great films have made interesting stories where there are zombies. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. It is a hard genre to reinvent where I think, uh, yeah, demons, there's just it's been pretty intertwined with human history for a very long time. No matter what the, uh, you know, what the, the part of the world you're in, there's been some sort of demonic stories throughout history. So um, I think, yeah, it's, it's easy to put a fresh take on it.
0: Yeah. And the notion of the reverse exorcism, I thought was really fascinating and something new. I feel like I, we haven't really seen that before. Where did that idea come from?
1: Uh it kind of the you know the question is is the answer. We um we were trying to come up with a, a supernatural project, and we said, what what can we do that hasn't been seen before? So every um every idea we came across, we had to twist it somehow. Yeah. So I think that was the very first one. We're going through all the genres and subgenres. We saw we got ghost movies. What's an exorcism what's the opposite of an exorcism movie you say well it's, it's just that you want to put a soul or put you want to put something back into a body instead of get something out um, so you know you can get into the semantics of whether or not a ghost going into a body counts as a reverse exorcism right. or it has to be a demon or a devil or whatever but um, that was just sort of the uh, that was where the original concept came
0: from and were there uh, any kind of false start stories prior to arriving at the current
1: story? Uh, yeah, for sure. We, uh, the, it originally came from, we were pitching, um, I think we had a, a vampire movie and a, um, like a sort of more of a slasher ish kind of human hunting movie. Yeah. Um, that we were pitching and the, the people we were pitching to, uh, you know, like those, but they said, do you have anything in the supernatural space. Um, so I'm there with the writer, Keith Cooper. We say, yeah, of course we do. We'll, uh, we'll get the treatments together and send them to you when we get home. Uh, so we get in the car and we decide, all right, we better come up with some supernatural <laughs> ideas because we don't have any right now. Uh, so we said, yeah, start throwing it around. And uh, yeah, so reverse exorcism came early and like, you know, what, what does that look like? Well, you know, you want to get a child back. So I think the original idea was uh, two parents kidnap a, a, a pregnant woman to, to try to bring their, their child back. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we just stuck with that on the uh, you know, during the whole, uh, creative process. We stuck with the, you know, what's the obvious, and how do you break that? So yeah. the parents that was too obvious. We're going to make it grandparents. um You're following the story. Originally, we were going to follow the story of Shannon Becker, the the pregnant woman as the victim, but we said no. That's again, it's too obvious. Whose story can we tell here? And we wanted to, to tell the story
0: of Henry and Audrey. Which I think was interesting. It was refreshing in a way to see protagonists who, I mean, they arguably are, are protagonists, but they're a big focal point of the movie. But they're basically senior citizens. We don't see a lot of major characters in movies that are senior citizens. So I thought that it was it was pretty interesting. You know, made yeah. only better by their, their incredible performances. For sure.
1: Yeah. The the actors, you know, certainly made that um much more stronger than we could have, uh, with, with, you know, lesser talent, but Holy smokes, all the actors were, uh, just knocked into the park for us. We we're very, very fortunate there. Um, but yeah, you're right. It, it, you don't see it very much. Um, you know, we looked at movies like the changeling, mm-hmm. um, but it's been, uh, yeah, I can't think of a whole lot of others that, uh, that put, you know, people of that age in, in the leading roles. And, um, it was just interesting to us. Um, and you know, if you've looked at my—I think we'll talk about my other films uh, later on. Um, if you look at those, you realize I spent a lot of time making—you know—commercial projects that uh, are there to please. And yeah. I didn't—I didn't want to do anything commercial about this movie. We just wanted to let the creative lead, and uh, you know, whether or not someone's going to buy it uh, was was less on our uh, less important to us. We just had to make something fully creative and. Uh, this is what came out of that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you raised, you know another question I was going to ask is when you look at your earlier work, it's mostly very wholesome concepts, you know, Christmas and romance and family. And how did you swing so hard left from such wholesome material? Well, yeah, well, none of none or were you repressing were all this for all these years?
1: Yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, it was it was weird how I kind of stumbled into that. It's you know you've heard the the old adage, "Fake it till you make it." Oh yeah. I was good at faking it. I was telling everybody I was a director. And then that's how I got, you know, my first music video. And I was doing music videos. I was working in like corporate productions. I was working in the camera department as well. So I was working as a DOP, you know, a first AC, a DMT. I worked as an editor as well. So I was doing, just had my hands in all sorts of things, just earning a living while I was telling people I was a director. So I'm working on this uh kids TV series um, I'm just filming baby animals on a green screen little five minute bumpers um, and the production company I was with they were you know very lucrative they were doing tons of stuff and so I said hey can you know any interest in making a, an independent horror film I'm looking for some financing so they went off to uh, I think it was NIPCOM to look for some funding um, Said so came back and said all right good news I found funding for a movie but it's a movie about a kid who plays soccer with a monkey um, <laughs> so oh well,
0: that's that's different. Monkey doesn't tear okay. his face off, I'm assuming. So it's not exactly horror. <laughs> um, yeah, so a first film is a first film. And uh, as
1: I said, I was still making corporate videos. So, um, you know, if I could earn money and make an actual movie, then uh, I said, great. So we did that. Uh, it was successful for the genre. and made it onto like, you know, Disney Channel and some other good places. And so that got us another one. Um, and a couple of kids and family projects turned into like the Holiday Romance. Um, I think every production company nowadays, you know, anyone doing, you know, sub five million dollar movies is looking at that Christmas space. Right. Um, So we were, I think, a little bit ahead of the curve on that. It it wasn't quite as rampant as it is now. Um, But, yeah, we we moved into there. And, um, yeah, my record is, uh, I think, eight Christmas movies in one year.
0: Whoa. Um,
1: So. Yeah, it would. You know, it was. It's a fantastic day job. I learned how to run a set. I learned how to work with actors. Um, you know, most days are you know pretty standard, mm-hmm. but then you have you know little things. You know, something as simple as uh, you know we had a really low budget one, um, and we didn't have money for a stunt day, and we had to film. You know, the girl falls off the stool trying to put the light on the Christmas tree, and the the handsome lead catches her. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, very simple, but you still learn how to make it look like someone's falling so um you know everything's a learning experience yeah and uh you know every you know every day i got significantly better and made great friends met a great great crew um so yeah they were uh you know their commercial um products that we're delivering but
0: it's a fantastic day
1: job while i was pursuing uh
0: becoming a filmmaker yeah i mean it sounds like the dream as far as aspiring horror filmmaker wanting to make movies that's your day job instead of taking something completely outside of the profession i mean you're actually directing all day you know it it totally was and i think it it made me significantly better and more
1: prepared um Mm -hmm. but i think it did slow us down a little bit in getting the financing for that first movie um it's uh you know it's People don't expect much from, uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of horror, from someone who's making these Christmas movies all day long. So, right. um, it uh, yeah, you know, started to get a reputation, good or bad. Um, that uh, it, it may have slowed that down a little bit, but
0: uh, yeah, I, I certainly don't regret it because it, it made me a better filmmaker. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it just sounds like it was a hell of a hands-on film school, you know, and not like wasting years at a job that has nothing to do with what you actually want to do, but you're exactly, actually so yeah. hands-on and you're probably, I'm sure by the time, you know, it was time to, to shoot anything for Jackson, you were, were so ready to go having had all these movies under your belt.
1: Yeah. We got a greenlit, and then we had uh, five or six weeks to get the cast crew locations and, um, start rolling cameras. So wow. the group uh, was pretty much ready to go, but um, that would have been a lot more intimidating had it been my first film. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, you know, I had seen us prep a Christmas movie in two weeks. So I'm like, oh, All right. we, we can do this, no problem. So that's awesome. Yeah, I feel yeah. like there's a huge
0: point. You know, don't ever turn any projects down. If you have the opportunity to direct anything, take it because that can only help your directorial ability. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, someone growing up, like, you know, I was a teenager in the 90s. So um, you, you see the the 90s indie film model Mm -hmm. and you watch all these guys they do one film it explodes and then they made it none of them started with 35 christmas movies so (laughs) you don't look at you you know you're trying to manage your your reputation and all that stuff is this you know is this going to hurt me in the future but um yeah it's it's the year you know imdb is a thing now so um everything you do people are putting you know, everything up there. If you worked on a music video as a gaffer, you're going to, it's going to be on your IMDB. So mm-hmm. um, it's just uh, it's a lot more open and um, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it, it turned up, it turned out to
0: help not hurt. So, well, that's great. Yeah. Cause uh, I, feel I, I
1: feel like you, produ- every job you can and get better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I feel like producers look for experience, you know, maybe not, You may not have experience in your genre, but I think it's interesting that from day one, you wanted to do horror. And now, so how did anything for Jackson get off the ground? I mean, you'd been working on these Christmas movies um, and some other family friendly titles. So what was the process like for getting this movie made? How did you guys finally get it done? Well, well, we had, as I said, we were pitching a few um, genre
1: projects from horror to science fiction, even some thrillers and sort of action stuff, Um, but all for like super low budget concepts um so we we went to afm to try to pitch mm-hmm. um i wouldn't recommend that to aspiring filmmakers I mean, afm is to, who uh, oh,
0: a american, american film, film market yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: um so we learned a lot i'm glad i went but it didn't help yeah um they, everyone there wants a movie that has you know they're looking for something that's shot then just needs a little bit of money to go into post-production or a movie that is you know 50% financed already and then mm-hmm. they come in for the last half it's you know the uh last in first out right. financing kind of models um so no one there was looking to you know start a movie from nothing um which we didn't know before we went but uh still you know got we learned a lot we got to see the other movies that were out there mm-hmm. um but it's it wasn't necessarily a good step and then we get back home um and you know what we did have? We had a lot more experience pitching because we took like seventy-five meetings when we were there over like a five-day. Whoa! So. At
0: AFM, you took seventy-five meetings. Yeah, yeah,
1: and it's it's great. You just walk around in the hotel and go in, and say, hey, you guys, you know, looking for concepts, and you sit down and talk to them, and you get feedback, and
0: wow, so it, it just impromptu. Just there's a bunch of conference rooms, and you just belly yeah, up we, to them.
1: We booked, I think, twenty um, okay. because you, you get the list of vendors before you go. Uh, so I just sent a bunch of cold emails and we got about 20 booked. Um, but as we're like waiting in between, you just walk up and down the halls and everyone's got their posters outside and anything that looked like it had a, you know, was a decent fit. Mm-hmm. Um, we just knocked on the door and they either said, yes, come on in or come back in two hours. And um, so, yeah, it was a quick, quick lesson in pitching. Um, and then when we got back, we, uh, we just looked up who, who was local, what pr- local production companies were there and we found vortex pictures um, and yeah, we, we went in, it was uh, a five minute pitch. Um, and then we went and met the, the executive producer, uh, and he said, yeah, great. Well, you know, if you guys can be ready in five and a half weeks, then, uh, then we're good to go. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, greenlight this movie. That's great. Um, so yeah, it was, I guess it was, it's how their cash flows. I guess we had, uh, they had a window when they had financing, but they didn't have a project to fill it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and they liked our projects well enough. And, uh, and that was it. So
0: off to the races um, from there. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Did you have an agent representing this or a manager or just, you nope. nope, just, just me and, and uh, the writer Keith, he and
1: I were having shopping this stuff together Cool um, since, since day one. So he and I went into that
0: meeting and yeah. So you had an exceptional cast here, and um, a couple people looked familiar, but I don't think there was anybody who I was that familiar with. So I'm curious, what was your approach to casting? Because usually when, uh, I mean, when it comes to like lower budget movies, particularly horror, the performances aren't tight, it ruins everything. But this was, everybody was so just on it. It was such an exceptional cast (laughs) what was your casting approach like and how yeah. did you find these people
1: first up was uh, was sheila mccarthy um she is very experienced uh she you know she was in Die Hard 2 um was i think her first big role and then uh she's in umbrella academy right now people know oh, her okay. for that. um she's also a stratford actress so stratford is uh canada's um sort of big live theater mm-hmm. community uh christopher Plummer's famous for for st- continuing to perform in stratford um so I saw her in an indie film called Cardinals uh, where she played the lead. Um, and I just, I loved it. And this was right around the time we were finishing off the script uh, for Jackson. And uh, I, I looked her up and I saw, you know, again, benefit of working in Christmas movies. I had worked with an actor who had produced something with Sheila in it. Hmm. Um, so I, I sent him a message and she said, Hey, do you, do you know her? He said, Oh, she is. Absolutely wonderful. Uh, here's her email address. So he got me in touch with her with a nice introduction. Uh, sent her the script. Two days later, she had read it. She loved it. Um, and she said, you know, I, I do big shows so that I can afford to come and do little indie projects like this. This this sounds right up my alley.
0: Um, that's huge. And just to stop you for a second, I feel like that's something that so many filmmakers overlook is the fact that you can get great actors for low budget movies because of the excitement your movie can offer these these big actors you know particularly people on tv shows who a lot of times get kind of lost in the fray and are not always leads but you know that they're great actors but if you put them front and center in your movie they first of all would love the opportunity to to have that much exposure but also relish the opportunity to do something new and different i just feel like that that's that's huge and that was the case with with sheila was it sheila yeah mccarthy yeah yeah absolutely right um
1: local helps as well if you're you know if you're flying them in from somewhere it's a little less comfortable than just you know we'll we'll drive you in for the week and then mm. you can be home weekends and um so yeah we shot i think we're, yeah we're about you know a 45 to 50 minute drive from our house so wow uh, that helps a lot too um but yeah she came on you know it was we didn't have any paperwork or anything but she came on well enough that we could tell people she was willing to do it Right. Um, so that, that was probably why the pitch, you know, went so quickly. We said, we have got this and Sheila has, you know, soft agreed to, to come on with us. Um, so yeah, with her involved after we got the green light, we went out to uh, Julian Richings. Um, so Julian is, uh, he's best known for playing death on uh, supernatural. Okay. Uh, but he's also, he's, he's sort of, uh, he's very well known, especially in Canadian indie films. Um, and I think it's just a passion of his, he likes, you know, helping out young and up and coming filmmakers. So he, he tends to say yes to a lot of things, uh, if he can make it work. Um, he just loves being on set and loves, uh, loves performing. So, yeah. um, he's, yeah, he's a great get, but I, he doesn't typically, you know, in, in his own words, he said, I usually play the scary guy in the corner. He doesn't typically get a lead.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but his talent is, uh, you know, second to none. So, um, Keith had actually kept him in mind when writing because again we knew he was another local actor. He mm-hmm. was Toronto based, so we could we'd be able to um, we couldn't mm-hmm. afford to fly somebody in um, and put them up in a hotel. So we knew all right that this could be the guy we get. So Keith actually wrote the script for Julian.
0: Oh, that's cool. Uh, and uh, you
1: know, not thinking we were going to get him, but we just you know had someone in mind. And then sure enough, with Sheila attached, we sent him the script. Uh, He liked the script, but wanted to have lunch. So we went and met with him for lunch. And he's like, you know, this is a good script, but what is your intention with this movie? Um, Because it could easily be, you know, a farce. It could be quite silly. Um, But he I think he needed us to ensure uh, to reassure that it is about um, Henry and Audrey, their love for each other and their their grief. Yeah. Um, So it had to be a human story wrapped up with lots of fun scares and things. Um, and as soon as, yeah, once we spoke with him, he, he believed in us and, and liked the direction we were taking it. So, so he signed on. Um, so those are obviously our two big ones. And then, uh, uh, Yannick Besson, uh, is best known for Murdoch mysteries, which is uh, a big show here in Canada. And it's a massive over in the United kingdom from what I understand um so he was a he was a big get and he was uh a friend with the production company they worked with him a few times and he likes playing off character because he's been this character on uh he's a, a detective in like the 1920s or 1800s or something was he like their that. kind
0: of satanist c- con- consultant
1: no uh, he played rory the the snowblower
0: guy oh okay that dude yeah
1: yeah yeah so uh so yeah he's typically plays this like you know handsome leading man detective type so okay. to come out and play this you know, super strange, not too bright neighbor, um, was, uh, w- was something that interested him. Um, and then, yeah, the rest, some were favors from Christmas movies. Um, but the two other leads, Constantina, uh, who played Becker mm-hmm. and, uh, Josh Crutis, who played Ian, we got them both from self tapes. Um, they, neither of them auditioned for the part we gave to them, um, but we just noticed how great they both were yeah, um, and, uh, and asked them to read for those parts. And, uh, yeah, they came in and, and did it. So uh, the auditioning process, we had uh, Rebecca LaMarche. Um, she helps cast all the Christmas movies I do. Um, she's also an actor and a good friend. So we just asked her to, to help out a little bit so she was able to get request some of these self-tapes. Um, so that, that helped a lot, too hmm cool um yeah and then the rest uh yeah we're, we're just friends we'd worked with in the past um like yeah caitlin lieb played uh she was yolanda uh, so she just came in for a day she's a friend um but she's you know she was in uh how about the uh, slasher that uh it's a the show netflix series now. Yeah. yeah she was in season two of slasher as one of the leads so um, and then she has a lot of Christmas movies and, uh, she was on spinning out that big Netflix show. So, mm-hmm. uh, she was a, a super talented actor to come out to do a small part, but again, just, you know, having, having friends in the Christmas world that yeah. uh, helped out.
0: Yeah. It all seems to help out. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like largely TV actors. There is so much opportunity again, just to get fantastic actors for relatively low budget movies who are you know, put in good performances. So when it came to working with the actors, I mean, clearly you're dealing with very he- heavy subject matter of grief and fear and demonic activity and all of that. What was your process like working with the actors in order to bring them to these very scary and eerie places?
1: Different with everybody. Um, and I've, I found that, you know, even when I'm not doing real heavy content, every actor has their own process. Mm-hmm. Um, so for my technique anyways, is to you can just straight up ask them on day one, like, what's their preferred way of working? Do they want to do they want to, you know, sort it all out and blocking? Do they want to just go through their marks and bring it on the first take? Do they prefer a, a close up or a master shot first if it's an emotional scene? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they it takes some time to get into it and they want to get the dialogue set before they put the emotion into it. Sometimes they know, like, the first time I say these words, it's going to hurt the most, and the tears are going to flow, and then after that, it's going to be harder, so you start with the close-up and move back to the wide. Mm. Um, So it's really about the individual actors. Um, Sheila, I noticed, can just turn it on and off like a faucet. Um, Wow. She didn't take a lot of prep work, and as soon as she was done an emotional scene, she was back to smiling and joking. Um, But then, you know, other work, other. Actors I've worked with in the past will take, you know, you got to rearrange the schedule because once they do an emotional scene, they're really not, it takes them a long time to get back for the rest mm. of the day.
0: That's um, interesting.
1: So Just drains them. It does. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's understandable um, totally. to, to get your, to get your head in that space and then just bounce back so quickly. So um, yeah, they're all different and it's, uh, it's really, I guess about listening to the actors um, and trying to figure out what,
0: what they need best. Yeah. Yeah. That seems like the key to, to working with actors in general, not having one single approach for working with each actor, because there's different types of actors, you know, some are yeah. method, some have prefer to rehearse, some prefer not to rehearse yeah, Catering I, your directorial style is the name of the game.
1: For sure. I, I learned a lot watching, um, Josh Crudis and Julian Richings in the scene uh, near the end um, when they're when they're sort of like yelling at each other. Um, so Josh, he was bringing so much emotion and raw energy to the scene, but he started uh, he started forgetting some of his lines, um, and so he would just like stay in character and stay in the moment, but bring himself back and just naturally Julian started leaning into that Hmm. so julian would miss a line and typically you would just go back and say the previous line so they could pick it up from there but he would he would ad-lib things and uh and just throw other stuff at josh to keep him in that moment keep him upset um but not you know throw him off his game Hmm. so uh you know you could he could easily have gotten frustrated uh and said you know come on you know be prepared or whatever but but no he you know everyone forgets their lines so so he watched that and he said I'm, I'm gonna help him on through and it was just a masterclass in uh in acting watching these two guys bounce off of each other until uh, until they got to the end of the scene that's it was amazing.
0: and instead of yelling cut clearly you had the wherewithal to observe that no 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 I'm, we're getting a killer performance here the lines might not be what's in the script but the performance is coming out you're getting more than probably you you had anticipated and to have an yes. actress help bring that along i mean that's huge that's a direct he, yeah, he,
1: he was off camera so he didn't have to but he he did for for the sake of josh and it was yeah it was amazing that's super um cool. oh yeah that's something i do a lot I, I often get actors looking right into the lens when they're just done with the scene I'm like i don't know what i'm gonna cut so <laughs> i'm just gonna i'm just gonna let it keep running <laughs> Um, but yeah, yelling cut too early has gotten me in trouble in the edit suite. So I, uh, I changed my approach and I always let it run way too long and they, they usually get annoyed with me, but just that's
0: keep okay. rolling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your research process like when it came to all matters of ghosts, the occult and demonology and Satanism? Uh, luckily that was happening during the script
1: stage. So, um, you know, Keith, Keith did a lot of research when writing it and then he would send it off to me and I would ask, you know, where's this come from? Where's that come from? And so he kind of like sent me a lot of articles or Wikipedia pages, um, that, that I could take a look at. So a lot of that was sort of baked into the script already. Um, but it was, it wasn't a, it's not like, uh, you know, their, their church cult thing is a satanic cult, that, you know, is held in the library, but it's not really uh, it's not really about Satanism. This, the idea for this movie was that these demons have existed throughout history Mm -hmm. and wherever they throw their face, the people who are alive at the time, uh, create their own folklore around them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe this is, uh, uh, from Greek mythology or Egyptian or, or whatever. They're just, these are the demons and the stories change depending on, you know, what time in history they've been seen. Um, Mm -hmm. So our, our demons weren't taken from, you know, one specific religion. They were all inspired by different things. We found, uh, you know, different artwork throughout history. So, um, so yeah, there, we kind of created our own world, uh, in that sense. Um, but the Latin and everything was, uh, you know, research, neither Keith nor I speak Latin. So we did our best, (laughs) (laughs) uh, figure that out. And, uh, yeah, so, um, Yeah, I guess that's probably the extent of the research and uh, a lot of creativity added on to that, which is so much fun in the genre because you can, you can
0: make it up. Come up with your own mythology. Yeah. Did the research ever get too intense? Did you ever come across any stuff that started to get like a little too creepy or a little too eerie, or did the pages start turning themselves? Any. Anything ever go a little too far when it came it's to this? Funny,
1: we've we've been asked that question before, um, and I someone asked if we set aside money in the budget to have someone come in and like bless the set, mm-hmm. uh,
0: and like no, we didn't even think about that. <laughs> Maybe we should. Have. People do it. People do it. I know, and uh, and they do it for the crew members because there's a lot of crew members who are very religious, and if they're doing at movies about exorcism, they they want yeah. a set blast, and that's usually yeah, crew members we, request that or actors. Yes, we we did have some BG who were unable to uh,
1: to finish uh, some of the scenes due to the due to the content. Some what? Uh, uh, some of the background actors oh, okay. wanted to uh, yeah didn't want to finish one of the scenes, which was fine. We were able to work around it. Um, but uh, yeah, so nothing nothing weird or scary happened. No, like you know exorcism type stories. Um, but that might be even because I have thought about this since I've been asked the question. That might be even more scary because this thing went really well. Like we we had days when there was like green grass showing, and then overnight we just got dumped with a snowstorm before the snowblower scene. So maybe we tapped into something, and we've made some sort of deal we didn't know about. Maybe um, that helped the movie go really well. So that might be even more scary.
0: So it was a really smooth production. <laughs> it sounds like it was really smooth, and it shouldn't have been. So so we did something. <laughs> well, was there? What was your prep like for this? It being a, a very a real departure from your normal way of filmmaking what was the because i mean a smooth production is is a dream and it's a really rare one so what was your prep process like and what do you think you can attribute the smoothness of production to Um, other than ghosts and demons (laughs)
1: uh yeah the uh so the main house was keith our writer that's actually his house um, so we didn't have to rent it and we weren't like limited to, you know, you you're, you, you get possession at 8.00 AM this morning, you roll cameras at nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so for the weeks leading up to it, we just sat in there and blocked through scenes. Um, sometimes we'd, you know, get up and we'd run through stuff ourselves or, you know, we'd get one of his kids to stand here or stand there and, uh, we'd snap pictures on a phone. Um, you know, we didn't do full storyboards, what you know, shot lists and, um, how the scene would would be blocked and play out uh, and then anything that didn't work uh, he would do a rewrite on that scene um, so so this this and this but you you know we've got a uh, you know we have to add n- she has to run up the stairs at this point so let's change that part of the script and, and add that um, so adjusting to the location and having access to the location early helped out a lot um, so yeah really just, Going through and shooting it in my head um, before showing up on the day uh, was a big part of it. And yeah, the other part of making something run smooth is being adaptable. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't tend to storyboard anymore. I'm not a great drawer. So I used to storyboard with stick people. Then I got some, you know, I bought some apps that were for storyboarding and still took hours and hours. And then, as soon as you get your first setup, you have to throw it away because everything <laughs> yes. changes. Right. Um, or, you know, if, if the DP comes to me and says, I look at this shot I found, um, I want to be flexible enough to say yes. Uh, where if I have a shot list, he might find something brilliant. Um, Sasha, our, our DP, mm-hmm. um, I'm talking about. So, Sasha may have found something brilliant, but I would have to say, uh, nope, that's not on the shot list. Hmm. I got to make sure I get this. right um, I've got look to at, look at my shot list and say, okay, so if we get that as the master instead, you know, maybe it flips the 180 degree rule. So all of a sudden our coverage is from the left instead of the right. Um, so if that's where the master is now, everything else has to change. Maybe that changes the blocking. Um, so being adaptable and, and ready to, to move and change on the day um, and just being able to, yeah, prepared enough that you can think, think through that stuff um goes a long way to running a smooth set
0: yeah i feel like that's huge the notion of being adaptable david lynch specifically does not shot list anything because he wants to allow the shot to present itself based on where he is and he finds that by doing that the shots are always different from what he imagined and usually better because he's not adhering to just rigid Mm -hmm. formalities of of uh of what the shot can be same thing with performances too which is interesting Yes, definitely. Um and that's something really fun
1: to do as well if uh you know we had 15 days to shoot this movie so not a ton of time. Um but when things are going well to just, you know, give the actors either the first take or the last take, give them a chance to to go off and play with things. Yeah. Um is uh, is a really fun exercise sometimes if you're if you're not getting what you want, you can go in and say, you know, let's, let's overact this one. I promise we won't use it, but let's just, you know, go crazy, play this like it's a cartoon, like Mm -hmm. just be really big and crazy. And then you might find a little hint of brilliance in there and say, I really like where you reached on this line. So, so keep that energy, but we're going to dial the rest back. Yeah. Um, Or you can, uh, or you can use one of the off, off camera actors. Um, I do this a lot in the Christmas projects. If it's supposed to be an emotional scene, but the actors just aren't getting there. I'll go to the, the, uh, the actor who's not on camera, uh, and they'll just be like swearing a, up a blue storm, or screaming at them, or you know, banging their fists on the table or something, and you get that natural surprise because the the actor performing wasn't expecting it. <laughs> um, so that's a really fun tool that I use a lot is to uh, get the other actors interesting. to interesting. Um, Did you go, come just, up with that?
0: Is that your own idea? I
1: I'm sure I'm not the first person to do it, but I I, I didn't you know, read it in an article. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So one thing yeah, I've weird been... being, being as, uh, sorry to interrupt, no, but, no, no. um, you know, working primarily as a director, I haven't been on a lot of tests with other directors for the last decade. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, I don't really know what, if what I do is unique, if what I do is normal or if, if it's any good, right. <laughs> That's just sort of how I work. Um, and outside of, you know, friendly conversations, I, I don't really know how other things work. So,
0: yeah. So one thing I thought was really interesting is the movie balanced a lot of tones. There was some humor in it, but it didn't feel overly intentional. It didn't feel like you were trying to shoehorn laughs into it. They were just moments that were naturally funny, but as humor does in horror, um, not Talking about horror comedies, but when you, when you as humor does in horror, it, it alleviates some of the tension and brings a little bit of levity and kind of gets releases some tension, so you can go back and be ready for another scare, which I thought was interesting. So I'm curious about two things: I'm curious about your approach to the humor. Also, the movie was plenty scary, but there weren't much in the way of jump scares, which I thought was good because I, I'm starting to find the jump scares unless they're really exceptionally well done, just are starting to cheapen movies, you know, Mm -hmm. but um, the balance of humor and the scares and the lack of jump scares and the overall, you know, tone of the movie, there were moments that were very bleak. um, And there's moments that were seemingly like intentionally dry, but it was never boring. It didn't feel like a slow burn, but there were some slow burn moments, but then you, there'd be some humor and then be just sheer insanity. Um, I'm curious how you approached the overall tone and trajectory of the movie, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, the uh, humor first. We we wanted to make sure we weren't doing any, you know, set up punchline um, type of joke jokes. Um, I think the comedy came from the realness. So almost, you know, like a Coen Brothers style of humor. Yeah, um, these people are just so real that it's funny. Almost because you have the expectations of the genre. So when you meet the group of Satanists, they're probably going to be in a cave in the forest and they meet at night. But if you met a Satanist in real life, where, where would they go? Um, and they would probably have to book out a room at the local library like everybody else. Um, so it's just, you know, it's real life is funny, especially when you have those expectations of the genre already. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite films is blue ruin by Jeremy Sonia. Oh yeah. Uh, and you have that, you know, he goes into the drugstore and grabs all the stuff to stitch up his own wound. You're like, yep, yeah, this is, you know, this is taken straight from a Western. And that's what they do. They're going to, you know, hold the needle over the fire and sew himself up, uh, hard cut to he's in line at the hospital because he doesn't know how to sew himself up. Yeah, It's, it's hilarious, but it's not a joke. It's just, right. that's what would have to happen. Um, So really just, yeah, comedy from real life and, uh, you know, conversations and dialogue that are natural and what people would really talk about. But it's sort of unexpected. So um, I didn't think so many people would pick up on the comedy. Um, You know, I I felt I felt scenes were funny and I loved the idea of, you know, what this satanic group looked like Mm -hmm. or. Um, some of the things audrey would say because she's just you know a, a quirky grandmother right um but yeah some people have straight up called it like a, a black comedy or dark comedy and um that yeah it took me a bit by surprise but if it just means they're they're smiling through the movie until it gets scary then uh, then that's great it doesn't sound like it's taking anyone out of the scares so yeah um so that's good definitely not. um so yeah, sorry. Comedy was the first half. What was the other part of that? The overall just
0: like structure, tonal structure of the movie because it um, it it had moments that I think were kind of slow burny, but it didn't feel like a slow burn movie. But then it had moments of just sheer insanity. But it all just gelled well together, you know. to right. Have an emotional yeah. roller coaster element.
1: I think we're you know we set up to make a a low budget indie horror film, so we knew people had to have fun while they were watching it. Yeah. Um, So we, we had to keep the pace up and that a lot of that came from this. Most of that came from the script. Mm -hmm. Um, There's gotta be, you know, a lot of stuff happening often because it's, you know, a small cast in one location for the most part. So we got to keep things up, keep things exciting and keep it moving. Um, So that's where sort of that pace came from. Um, And yeah, you you mentioned the lack of jump scares. That was something we, you know, we were intentionally set out to do. Um, And, You know, getting, I still go back and watch, you know, even the YouTube videos, like, you know, hear the the top jump scares in movies, or you get these people doing breakdowns, like, you know, this is this type of jump scare and this is that type of, you know, (laughs) you got your false jump scare and this. And like, I'll go back and watch YouTube videos that are so basic um, that, you know, really I would have been watching had they been around when I was, you know, 17 and trying to learn filmmaking. Such a good filmmaking resource. Yeah. And you, you know, you know everything, but it jogs your memory. Right. Um, you gotta be reminded of these things. Yeah. Not, not that I know everything, but in one of these videos, right. It could be a very simplistic video. Like here's the 180 degree rule. Right. And like, yeah, I understand you want to film everything from this side of the room, but you just watch it to jog your memory and get reminded of it. Um, and see great examples too. Like, you know, here's a good example of a jump scare. Here's a bad example of a jump scare. Um, so, yeah, we set up to not have them. We do, you know, I, I think we do have one or two, um, but we wanted them to at least have some weight to them. I know the false jump scare, we didn't want, like, you know, the crash sound or then it's just a cat walking by the alley. We didn't want any of that. We wanted yeah. the, the jump scares to have have uh, uh, a story-driven purpose. Um, <clears throat> I think we cut the uh, the suffocating ghost. We cut his introduction, I think, like 10 different ways uh, it would have been very easy to have him as a jump scare, just like a smash cut. But mm-hmm. uh, we actually showed him four times before the music starts up. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a fun exercise to do the, those slow build scares. And just, yeah, watching the masters from The Shining, we talked about The Changeling already, yeah. um, uh, you know, from, you know, the exorcism and everything. And, and then more modern stuff like James Wan, I think, is a master of the setup. Mm-hmm. Um, so watching his pacing and timing and editing, um, was very inspirational for, for us built ours as well. So,
0: yeah. So as a, um, you know, comparatively low budget movie is, does not look or feel low budget at all. What were some of the keys, the kind of, you know, economy of filmmaking? I mean, obviously the majority of the movie takes place in one location, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a, a common way to keep the costs low while you keep production value high. But what were some of the other keys to keeping your production value high? um get a
1: great cinematographer uh sasha morick is uh he's he was looking to add more credits to his resume which is why he agreed to come help us out but he's also like the go-to guy in the industry for a gimbal operation so he's on the biggest shoots around um as a gimbal operator and you know but but still an up-and-coming dop um so you find someone like that who's got tons of experience and knows everything, but wants that, uh, wants that credit on the IMDB. And you yeah. can, um, he offered to come in and do it for, you know, well below his, his standard rate. Um, but he also comes with the connections. So we right. got, you know, he has his own gimbal, but that's just part of the, uh, part of the equation. He knows people at the rental houses. So we got dollies and, um, he brought out a city cam operator for a couple of days, uh, who he was training to become a union operator. Whoa. Um, so the stuff we got was, you know, we had no right having that (laughs) film of this budget, but it's, you find, you know, even down to, uh, one of our drivers, um, I, you know, he's a local guy met him recently and he was a photographer trying to get into film. I said, well, Hey, come out, be a driver. And then whenever you're not going somewhere, come inside and, and learn, you know, check out what set is like. Um, that's great. And you, when you have people like that, they're willing to go the extra mile for you and, uh, and work hard because you got to pay them back with, with experience. Right. Um, you know, I spent a long, I spent a lot of, uh, <laughs> days out on sets for free, just trying to learn it. Um, when I was first starting out, um, we had, uh, one of our PAs ended up with a, uh, uh, I think he was a third AC credit, um, cause he was running the slate and, uh, and the second AC assistant camera, second assistant camera was teaching him the ropes, and uh, and then he got offered to go and become a trainee in the union. Wow! Um, so if you can pay people with experience, um, then they'll they'll take less money,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, which uh, which is very helpful. So we did have a few free PAS, but they're mostly students uh, who were adding their they need hours on set or whatever to graduate. Yeah. So we we're giving them that. Um they would come out for not the whole shoot, but you know, two or three days. And um yeah, we had uh our our sound guy who's a, a good friend of mine. His mom uh made a bunch of food for everybody. My mom was baking <laughs> up muffins and stuff. So uh we have those extra things out um every day just to sweeten the pot, make the experience that much nicer for everyone. So I think a happy crew, um, a respected crew goes a long way to your production value. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, use what you got. So the house was Keith's, the, uh, we shot a, a day in my house. That was Ian's mom's basement as well as Henry and Audrey's bedroom. Um, we built Jackson's bedroom as a set. Um, but that we did in a local movie theater that was shutting down. And it was right. actually the movie theater I grew up going to uh, as, a, as a kid where I fell in love Full with Full circle, man. So, and uh, yeah, it was a nice way to say goodbye to it because it, it's shut down now. That's so we shame. went, yeah, moved into Cinema 3, moved all the seats out and, uh, and built this set. And uh, yeah, just, you know, we knew, we knew some people who ran it and they were like, yeah, we know it's shutting down anyways. So they just gave it to us for a very inexpensive price. Um, And then we got some uh, some local carpenters to come out and learn from uh, our art director how to build um, flats instead of, you know, a framed up two by four wall. Wow. So. And again, now, now they know how to build flats. And the right. next time we do a movie, we have some local carpenters who can uh, help us build a set. So, it's just
0: all this economy of experience that I feel like not a lot of filmmakers tap into enough where right. a lot of people will work harder on your movie, mm-hmm. sh- surely for the experience, you know, yes. provided they're yeah. respected and happy on set.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the way I did that coming up was always it's all students, right? It's people learning. But you can get wildly experienced people to, to come out and do the same thing um our our uh we went through a couple of gaffers just with uh, scheduling that's something else be flexible um Mm. you know if someone can't commit to all 15 days but they have a lot of experience bring them on for five and then find a replacement for them after they have to go uh one of our gaffers like he's a does the biggest shows in toronto and uh he was just a fan of sheila and julian's and he was just fanboying out the whole time asking (laughs) for selfies and um yeah this guy who's like worked with massive massive stars he just loved both those two that's so, awesome um, yeah it's it's so much fun when you have an environment like that with people yeah who are just excited about as excited about the movie as you
0: are yeah because then it becomes a community you know which is whatever sure. set should be yeah cool so last few questions here you you sure. got how long was the shoot 15 days 15 days and you shot in toronto i assume uh, just north
1: of Toronto, a town called Barry, uh about forty-five minutes north of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, we started February twenty-fifth and wrapped on March thirteenth of this year. Um, wow. So it was the day before we shut down uh, for COVID. So whoa, yeah, it very, very. That's that's what I'm talking about, man. We uh, we <laughs> tapped into something. Somebody There's, did a deal with the devil for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> There's no reason we should. We literally wrapped, and we were like watching the news that whole week, and we're like. It's the rumor is they're going to shut down film sets tomorrow. We're like, can we go for like a rap drink, or do we just have to go home? Oh man. And uh, everyone just went home because we we were worried that uh, we weren't supposed to be out anymore. So, what down to the minute.
0: Well, hopefully, you can have your rap party in twenty twenty one. You know, now that we have yeah. a vaccine and all of that. Yeah. So, how did you do the creatures?
1: The creatures, um, Carly Morris came out and did those, and she is uh, again someone who works as a. Uh, She's a, I don't know exactly the titles in that department. She designs the
0: molds mm-hmm. for
1: prosthetics.
0: Okay. Um, she so did like and, a practical CGI blend, I'm assuming.
1: Uh, very little CGI. The oh. only CGI in this movie was uh, like cell phone screens. Oh, wow. Uh, the crows flying around. We did right. that CGI. Uh, I think we painted out a bloom once. Um, but all those creatures were
0: pure practical. They weren't actually were oh, man, They looked yeah. amazing. I thought for Isn't sure they? Yeah. they were partially CGI. They were so expressive in the way they moved. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so insane. What?
1: OK, yeah. So so Carly was um, she was coming off like birds of prey or something gigantic like that. But again, as a part of the team, not the head of the department. Yeah. Um, and we had known her from working in the past. So we we got along well. And so she was excited to come and help us out. So she came and built all these monsters for us and applied them. Um, so, yeah, she built our flossing ghost. And oddly enough, that was a really hard one to cast. Uh, We kept looking for, you know, all these people and like some of the self tapes, like we had people using fake blood. They were like cutting things together with scary music. Um, But it was uh, oddly really difficult to cast. And then we cast uh, Marianne and she showed up like her, her tape. She was like really scary. It looked really good. She showed up and she's like stunning. We're like, (laughs) what? You're the person from the tape. How do you, how are we going to pull this off? And then she went into makeup and she like, you know, contorts her face all up to get those prosthetic gums in her mouth. Whoa. And uh, she managed to look really, really scary. <laughs> um, and then uh, Troy James, who played our suffocating ghost, um, he is, he's just an incredibly gifted talent. Um, he's got a long story <laughs> how we got him too. Uh, so he, I saw him like 20 years ago at a, an amusement park for this Halloween thing they do every year. Mm-hmm. Um I'll, I'll keep the long story short, we Google him, we finally track him down, we say, oh yeah, that's the guy, he still lives in Toronto, but he just came off of Hellboy, um, scary stories we tell in the dark, he's like Guillermo del Toro uses him in a lot of projects now. We're like, oh great, we can't get him, um, but we need to find a contortionist because this ghost is gonna be so much better. Um, so we just put out a casting call, we find one contortionist, We we offer her the role, and then she can't make the dates work um so she said i'm sorry i can't but i perform with a friend of mine his name's troy uh do you want me to get you in touch and so she gives us troy's contact information and he happens to be back at home at that time um and i still don't know why he did it but he just agreed (laughs) to do it and uh he is like the nicest least scary person i've ever met but when he starts moving around um
0: and he's incredible. That's what I thought for sure was CGI. I thought there's yeah. no way a human can do that. Oh, that's nope. so brilliant the that, you know, contortionist.
1: Yes, yeah, he's in um he's in that new uh Blumhouse Amazon film uh, Black Box.
0: Oh, I saw that. Uh, oh, well, that yeah, okay, so of
1: course. All right, now yeah, so like I right, did look alike. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was definitely.
0: CGI too. Holy shit, this guy's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, he's been uh, he's been accused online of being bad CGI. He was the uh, he was the old hag in um in Hellboy. And a lot of people attacked that scene for being bad CGI. I'm like, no, that was just Troy. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Uh, Um, Yeah. The the bigger demons, that was all Carly designing that we worked on it ahead of time. She didn't have a ton of time, but she built the prosthetics and applied them. And um, so, yeah, it's just more good people. And, Working hard.
0: so I looked amazing. I mean, you just delivered so many goods in this movie. I mean, there was legitimate grief. There was a lot of scares. There was a bunch of, I mean, there were ghosts, but I could say to a certain degree, it was like monster movie type of scares. We have multiple creature designs. I mean, it was really a hell of a time at the movies, you know, in my living room, but (laughs) nonetheless, real killer cinematic experience, man. So, you know, congratulations. Thanks so much, man. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, we're, we're really happy with it. And it was a uh, it was a weird slow burn because we released it at, you know, the online film festivals. And yeah, um, there was a little bit of, you know, some people talking about it online, but, you know, not a ton of buzz. So we're like, we don't I don't know. I like the movie, but I don't know if it's a hit or if it's that good. But uh, then, yeah, we released it two weeks ago. And um, yeah, the online community has been uh, extremely kind, and generous to us. And uh, yeah, so it, it, uh, it feels really good. So we're we're happy people are connecting with it. That's great. So what is next for you? What's next? I don't know. We've got uh, a lot of concepts, and we're uh, we're we're starting to get pitch meetings that we certainly weren't getting before. So, um, yeah, we've got some some great ideas, some existing scripts that we had written before. Anything for Jackson, mm-hmm. and uh, it's about finding that right partner um, and the right project. But uh, we're we're certainly not you know taking seventy five pitch meetings at AFM anymore. <laughs> um, we're, uh, people are returning our calls, and we're we're going into yeah, talk to actual you know, horror studios and stuff. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. That's great, man.
0: So last question, I mean, obviously yeah. when it comes to filmmaking and writing and anything related to film, there's a lot of books out there. There's a lot of resources, not all of which are high quality, but along your filmmaking career path, were there any particularly good resources or books that were helpful either from a career perspective or from a creative perspective? Yeah,
1: I, I read a lot of them, you know, the save the cat and, and all those ones are all very good. Um, I read a lot of the standard ones. I really got hung up on story by Robert McKee, mm-hmm. um, which again is a pretty common one, but I, uh, I just, I kind of read it on repeat for a long time. Um, and then I got the audio book and just kind of had that on in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of, cause I'm, I'm, I'm really not a writer. I, I conceptualize these concepts with, uh, with Keith, but thank goodness I know Keith cause he is, uh, he's an incredible writer and you know, he, we, we hash out the ideas and uh, and then he takes that and turns it into a script. Um, so it was when I was sort of trying to figure out how can I be a writer? Cause this was before I met Keith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got hung up on that book. So as I was trying to write something just in my off time, I'd be listening to the audiobook or, or reading more pages and going out. So my, my copy of it's all marked up with highlighting and, uh, and tabs and everything in it. So uh, I really liked that book. Um, and then a lot of time with, DVDs, um, you know, when I was first starting out, I would, I got like, I remember the uh, Once Upon a Time in
0: Mexico DVD has oh, a yeah. ton of behind the scenes stuff. Five minute film school. Yeah. It's five, yeah, what is it, is five it, I think it's different on every film. I think yeah, it's like yeah. 15 minutes. The Sin City one was my favorite.
1: Yes. Yeah. So they, they used to have such great content on those DVDs, which I guess is on YouTube now. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. it's good, but uh, I just, I loved how yeah so I would dive into all those dvds i would I would raid dVD stores and I would buy movies I, I didn't even like just to get to a good behind the scenes yeah um, content on there uh listen to the director's commentaries and uh, a lot of um you know watching frame by frame so I would find scenes that I like and then I would just analyze them to death and mm-hmm. say why did this scare me so much and you know, watch it in real time, watch it in slow motion, go frame by frame, see how they built it, um, write it all down. And yeah, so those were, uh, I guess those are my resources. Cool. Very and it cool. still are. I still sort of go back to that. Now YouTube, as we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, people do great analysis on there.
0: There's some. It's you know, amazing. It's almost criminal that it's free, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I keep like, I, I always look for these guys' Patreon pages if it's particularly helpful. And usually they Absolutely, don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I don't well, know if they're all like retired film professors
0: or what, but the the stuff people are putting out is is so detailed and so helpful. Yeah, so much great stuff out there. Well, Justin, real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time. This was a real blast, and congratulations on anything for Jackson. I mean, it was such a thrill ride. So huge congrats to you and your Thank team. Thank you very much. Yeah, no, I appreciate the time. This has been has uh, been a lot of fun.
1: You have asked cool. a lot of uh, a lot of interesting questions I haven't gotten to talk about yet. So uh, yeah,
0: appreciate your time. Cool. Thank you. All right. Here, as always, are some key takeaways from this conversation with Justin Dyke. Number one. Tap into the economy of experience. This is a common theme among a lot of indie filmmakers, but it bears repeating. One of the keys to achieving high production value on a low-budget movie is to tap into people's yearning for experience. Justin was able to get a great DP for Anything for Jackson for less than his usual fee because this DP wanted more diverse IMDb credits and this project was able to provide him with just that. This rule can also apply to actors. Justin cast a bunch of very experienced TV actors whose experience on very big shows tended to get a little boring, while this indie horror movie offered them a fun and fresh experience, so they signed on for less than their usual fee. The movie also offered them an opportunity for more focused screen time, which is really important for actors as well. Doing this effectively boils down to the experience that you can provide to your cast and crew. If you can't pay a lot, you have to make it worth their while by going out of your way to make the experience valuable and enjoyable for them. So find resourceful ways for your movie to provide high-value people opportunities to learn, to do something different, to get more exposure, or just to have fun. Number two, there's humor in realism. There are a number of humorous moments in Anything for Jackson, and they were so natural that they seemed almost unintentional. The way Justin described the movie's funny moments was by comparing them to Coen Brothers movies, where you have ordinary people in very extraordinary circumstances, which is really on display in Fargo. Observing how real everyday people respond to crazy scenarios creates a juxtaposition that's naturally humorous. Justin also cited Blue Ruin as a prime example of this, which I highly recommend. So if you're looking to raise the the levity of your horror film by using humor? It can be as simple as adding a dose of realism just by being truthful. This will let the laughs shine through in a very natural but unexpected way. Number three, Don't turn down opportunities. Justin entered the industry wanting to make horror movies, but was instead offered the opportunity to direct a family film. Instead of thumbing his nose at the opportunity, he took it because he knew that the experience would be valuable for him as a director. Justin did such a great job on that movie that he ended up being asked to direct multiple other family movies. And despite the fact that these were not necessarily the kinds of movies he wanted to be directing, making them became his day job, where he was able to learn countless lessons about working with actors, the pace of the set, camera equipment, and the technical sides of directing and filmmaking. He also built a killer network of crew members, producers, and actors. So as far as day jobs go, this is a dream come true for any aspiring filmmaker. Because when it came time to direct anything for Jackson, Justin was able to draw from years of very hands-on experience and he executed a great movie with a very smooth production, all because of his experience. This is a serious reason to consider saying yes to opportunities that are not exactly what you're looking for at the time because they can make you a better filmmaker. Anyway, guys, thank you as always for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with your friends and family on social media? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at I'm Nick Taylor and on Twitter at the same handle. Thanks again for listening to The Nick Taylor Horror Show.